You hear that? All right, so without further ado. All right, so, um, so right in the beginning of Parsha's Kedoshim, so it's Achimah's Kedoshim, so uh, there's a lot of mitzvahs in the Parsha, but uh, there's uh, one, one pasuk, one mitzvah, when I was looking at the Parsha a couple of days ago to prepare, so uh, it just caught my eye, so I figured we'll talk about it. So right in the beginning of Parsha's Kedoshim, again, you don't, you don't have the pasuk in front of you, but um, it's right, uh, pasuk dal, right in the beginning of the Parsha. So it says in Pasuk, Al Tifnu El Halilam. Al Tifnu Don't, literally, it's translated as don't turn towards idols. Don't turn towards idols. What does it mean not to turn towards idols? So Rashi Taijis is probably the simple, simple pshat. Means don't serve idols. And don't turn to them. And don't worship them. Okay? Now that's not anything new. We've had, uh, there's a lot of mitzvahs in Chumash. Sort of go with that theme. Don't bow down to them. Don't serve them. And so on. So Al Tifnu don't turn to them. Don't serve them in that way. But Chazal, that's, that's, that's what Rashi says. But, uh, but according to Chazal, there's other interpretations to this Pasuk that really define it as a unique, independent mitzvah on its own. Just got started. So the, the Makars that you have in front of you, so we're going to we'll, we'll go through it together. We're going to go out of order, though. You'll see, you'll see, you'll see why, Hashem, soon. But take a look at Maramukha number two. So this is the Rambam. In the beginning, it's relatively towards the beginning of Hilchas Avodah So just to get a little bit of a picture of how the Rambam presents the laws of uh, Avodah So the first parak in the Rambam is an interesting one. In Hilchas Avodah he talks about the history of Avodah how how the concept of Avodah evolved. Because you had, I said, it starts from Adam and Chava being created by Hashem. And so obviously there's an awareness of God. So what happened all of a sudden that you would have uh, by Avram Avinu that the Rabbanu was basically forgotten. So the Rambam famously says, oh, Mahalach, that by the generation of Enoish, the world made a very big mistake. That's the language of the Rambam. Tos Gedoyla, a very, very big mistake, which is that they figure, listen, God's, God's amazing. God's very, very big and almost impossible to relate to. But we know that he did create these uh, bodies through which, through which he, you know, he gives, you know, Shefa comes to the through these things, these intermediaries, Malachim, uh, celestial bodies, these types of things. So they made the Cheshven, let's honor these things. God gave them honor by appointing them in such a high position, so let's honor them. And that itself is honorable to the king if you praise and honor his, uh, you know, the ones that serve him. So that's what they did. Slowly but surely, you forgot about the king of all kings, and it was all focused on these angels and uh, planets and so on, until you have uh, Avodizar. That's the, that's the Perak Aleph of the Rambam. Then he says, Avram Avinu came to correct this mistake, and Avram Avinu brought back faith in, in the Rabbanish Loilam, and he passed it on to his children and the, the Shwatim and so on, until we find ourselves in Mitzrayim, where because of the slavery, we almost forget about the tradition of Avram Avinu, until Moshe Benu comes and brings us back and gives us the Torah, and we're able to reconnect to the Amuna of old. That's basically Perak Aleph of Ilchaz Avadizar. Comes Perak Bez in Ilchaz Avadizar. So, Maramakim 1, 2, and 3 are the first three halachas of the second parak. But for our purposes now, we're going to start with halacha base. So take with Maramakim number 2, is halacha base. It says around like this, and again, defining for us what this mitzvah, not to turn towards idolatry, what does that mean to turn towards idolatry? So it says the Ramam. Sfarim Rabbim Chibru There's many books that were written describing idolatry and idolatrous you know, uh, services. How would these idols be served? You know, in their crazy religions, what would these idols do? What would these gods do? What are the rules and regulations of how to serve these deities? All the textbooks of these other religions. So there's a lot of books out there. It says the Ramam, commanded us, not to read these books, not to think about these subjects, anything about these subjects. So these subjects are off limits. They're first a waste of time, Aleph. And there's an actual prohibition to do, to involve mentally, to engage yourself mentally in these subjects. It says the Rambam more than that. Even to gaze upon idols themselves, to study them, to study the figures. And, and as the commentaries explain, it means to study to even architecturally how they were made. Any level of like mental 
attachment and like commit and, and devotion and, and you know uh, energy spent on these things. Even again, even if it's just a matter of like you know uh, focusing like your vision on these things and really studying them, aser. These are all aser shenemar al tifnu alilim. Don't turn towards idols. So turning towards idols means mentally and uh, just like with your time and energy. Don't don't turn towards these. Not just the idol itself, but the whole subject matter of idolatry. It's, uh, it's off limits. And similarly, says the Rambam, there's another Pasuk which sort of expands on this idea. The Pasuk says, that the Pasuk says, lest you do this. You're not allowed to do the following thing. To investigate their gods. To say to yourself, how did they do it? In other words, even if you're not trying to learn from these things to do it yourself, but you're just on the intellectual curiosity, like what's going on in these uh, ancient religions or what's going on in even religions of now. So the Pasuk says, in other words, that might be a thought that you might have, which is like, you know, it's just something that you're curious about. So the Pasuk is saying, don't do that. Don't investigate the service of idolatry, how it was done. Even though you're not trying to investigate for the purposes of your own, uh, you know, experience, says because even thinking about these things and 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 you know and 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 putting your mind to it is gairmly funny. It, it it as we'll see soon. It it sort of um, uh, creates a path to serving it. It creates a path. And it might lead to do what these guys are doing. So by thinking about them, by studying about it. And that's what the Pasuk says. So it starts off with an innocent question of, you know, let me investigate, I'm curious. And it ends up being, let me do it too. So, so fine, that's what the Rambam says. Well, the last line we'll end off, we'll, we'll, we'll see soon. That's the, uh, that's the halacha of Al-Tifnu El-Halilim. Okay. By the way, just to give a little bit of a source We'll see soon maybe a little bit more about this, but a little bit of a source that the Rambam threw in over here that there's not only a prohibition to think about these things. By the way, this, this interpretation of the Rambam, that there's a prohibition of investigating, of reading and, and studying about these subjects, and it's from Al-Tifnu Alilum, that's what it means, to turn to idolatry. This is something that the Rambam's not making up. He, it's coming from the Medrash. So the Medrash, in fact, interprets Al-Tifnu Alilum means not to study these subjects. But the Rambam threw in, not only are, is one prohibited from studying these things, but even, even looking and gazing and like uh, uh, staring at idolatry is also prohibited. That's, in fact, from a Gemara and Shabbos. If you take a look at Marmok number 6. So again, we're not going to see all of it yet, but the Gemara says in Shabbos the following thing. Kuf mem tes aleph. Says the Gemara, Tanar you have a b'risa. The rabbis taught, Ksav ha-mahalich tacha if you have a painting or some sort of statue, we'll see in a second what type, but some sort of statue or painting, and there is a um, uh, writing underneath it, where they call it when they have, uh, like an inscription, uh, uh, like a caption underneath. So it says the Brisa, also the Christ The caption you're not allowed to read on Shabbos. This is a prohibition of reading secular things on Shabbos. That's what the Bryce is talking about. So you can't read captions under paintings or under statues on Shabbos. That's not our subject now. It says the Gemara, atzma, but that's all the caption. And that's something that's okay during the week, but prohibited on Shabbos. But the statue itself, the image itself, you're not allowed to look at it and stare at it even during the week. Because it says you're not allowed to turn to idols. My Talmud, and what do, what do we mean? What, is, what does the Pasuk mean? It means, Om Rav Chanan, says Rav Chanan, Al Tifnu El don't turn to something that you, that you made up. In other words, as, as the Ramam interprets, it means don't turn to idolatry. And the Gemara is expanding this, not just mentally, but it means uh, physically. You know, you now even have to stare at these things. Now, this, is a, this is a question. We're not going to go into this particular point so much. Maybe it's Kadai that we should a little bit. But that's a question of like, what does it mean? You know how to look at it, you have to cover your eyes. You go to the Museum of Natural History, right? So they have totem poles, they have all these, uh, you know, you go to, uh, you know, things about ancient Egypt or something. They have uh, stuff like these ours over there. So you're not allowed to look at it. You have to mamish like, um, you know, cover your eyes as you pass by. So there's a whole debate, there's a whole discussion. Does this mean maybe the prohibition is only an active idol? You know, there's like an idol that's actually being served. Those things, totem poles, Technically speaking, in halacha, they're most likely not of the czars anymore because collectively they're bottle. I mean, there's, no one believes in them anymore, so this sort of uh, humanity has been mevatel them from being of the czars. So technically speaking, it's probably not an of the czar anymore. But it was definitely, it definitely uh, represents idolatry. 
So is this a prohibition of staring at an actual idol or just an image of an idol, so to speak? And also when we talk about are we, the mamish looking, is it, is it to stare at it? So the, the usual consensus of the Paiskim is, is that just a, you know, glancing at it, you know, it's, not, uh, it's not a problem. You're passing by a church, whatever it is, and there's a cross. There's no prohibition necessarily of just happening to see it. You don't have to do tshuva for, have, for having seen a cross, you know. But, uh, but the Paiskim do say to stare at it and to really think about, you know, how it was made and like really to, uh, you know, wow, like the, the architect was amazing when he did this. That's something that one should definitely avoid. Certainly, if it's an active by the Zara, if it's not an active one, again, then it could be a little bit more lenient, but it's still, you know, it's uh, one of the, the Rishonim bring down part of this issue. We'll see soon the nature of this Isser, but one aspect that the Rishonim bring down is that it's much just a waste of time, like, you know, you have more, better things to occupy yourself with than uh, worrying about totem poles, but uh, that's what it is. So the initial, like, the nativity scene theoretically becomes problematic, assuming the custom... Right. So if right. So if you if so that such a thing is not a chetzav of a nizar. it represents idolatry. So, but yeah, but it's something to, as far as staring at it and like you know, that would be of a nizar mamish. That could be of a nizar mamish. Yes, yes. So then, definitely to avoid uh, gazing upon it. That's the that's the rambam. Now, what's interesting, the rambam continues in Marmukkah number three. That's officially the isser of altifnu alilim. What's interesting is, is the Rambam uses now this as sort of a springboard to talk about other things that you're also not allowed to mentally engage in. So the Rambam says like this, Marmukah number three, You should know that real is not the only thing that you're not allowed to mentally uh, turn towards and engage in. Says the Rambam, Any thought that is a, that is questioning or that might lead to undermining one of the principles of faith is also something we're prohibited from engaging in mentally. So the Rambam gives an example. First, first he says, why? Why is that? Because people, listen, human beings are limited. We're not uh, the most brilliant uh, creatures uh, that exist. And not everyone through their own investigations can get to the truth. So he says like this, So if you allow yourself to make your own investigations regarding fundamentals of faith, then you're going to end up messing uh, your, your, your way of thinking up because you, don't have, you might not get to the truth. You might not get to the, uh, to, the, to the real answer. Not because the real answer is not found, but because you don't know the path to get there. You know? So you don't have the, the kalim to do so. So he gives an example. So Yashav Yichra This guy is taking upon himself, you know, he's going on a Shpatsir, he's thinking, you know, let me have some time to think. I'm going to contemplate whether, whether is it really true that there is only one God? So, and he thinks, he's, listen, he's, it's, it's a good, it's, it's, it's one of the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit, and he wants to really investigate it. So he's going to allow himself to contemplate, not the, not the subject of Yichra Hashem, we talk about that in Shul uh, all the time, but in terms of like, let, let, let me investigate the veracity, the truth of it. Is it true or is it not true? And to allow me to, to go through, to rationalize and to sort of go through the cheshvan to try to come to the conclusion that there, he's trying to get to the right conclusion that there is one God, but he's going through this mental gymnastics. So I'm gonna, let, me, let, let me allow myself to, to imagine that it's not true and to you know, prove it to myself. So he says, or other, other thoughts, ma'lamala, ma'lamata, ma'lafnim, what's before creation, after creation, these types of thoughts, which again, he, he's going into the, the sugya you know, L'shem Shemaim, he wants to get to the correct answer, but he's allowing himself to start on sort of the, the negative side, and let me prove to myself, you know, the truth. Upam b'nevur, let's say he's contemplating prophecy. Shemhi emes, shemhi ena. Let me start with a thought, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, let me <coughs> figure out the truth of prophecy. Upam b'tayra, maybe tayra itself. Shemhi mena shemaim, shem ena. God forbid me, it's not, not from Harsinai, and let me investigate. The Enya de Hamida, so the Ram says very, 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 very clearly. Every science has its own sort of set of rules, right? So if a person is an engineer, so there's a certain system that you have to of rules and way of thinking that you have to have, tools to go into engineering. And those tools are good for engineering, they're not good for literature. And the tools that a, a, that a, a literary uh, uh, you know, person, a, a writer would need to write uh, poetry 
is not good for mathematics. Every system has its own set of, of rules. So Yiddishkeit and philosophy has the same thing as well. But this guy, he doesn't necessarily have those tools. So he's going to, I'm going to investigate these in Yonim. You're not coming with the right uh, training. So says the Rambam, he doesn't have the tools uh, within, within, through which to investigate these sugyas. To get to the truth. And because of this, he could end up uh, messing himself up and coming to the wrong conclusions, God forbid, and uprooting from his own life, one of the Ikariyamuna. And therefore, one should stay away from these subjects because most of us are not equipped to be able to handle those subject matters properly. And regarding this, the Torah warns us, Don't go after your heart and eyes. In other words, after your eyes, we know that means no, it's to watch your eyes. What does it mean to go, not to go after your heart? It means don't allow your heart to investigate subject matters that you're not equipped to handle. That uh, no one should just uh, allow themselves to go using their limited intellect to think that you can do it. You know, it's, uh, not everyone is, uh, is capable of doing that. So this is the Rambam. So the Rambam started off t- telling us, introducing us to this mitzvah that's called Atif Nolilim not to allow our thoughts to investigate the subject matter of idolatry, not even to study the, 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 the statue itself. And then the Rama said, and by the way, there's other subject matter you're not allowed to go into, which is basically uh, apicarsis, you know, um, subject matter. Um, that's also prohibited. Maybe not from the same pasuk of Altif Nolilim, of Loisa Suru Achil but that's also subject matter you're not allowed to be involved in. That's the Rama. Okay, so now the Rishonim bring up a very strong question, which is, what about the Ram himself? The Ram wrote a sefer called Mar Nevuchim. In Mar Nevuchim, there are two sections to Mar Nevuchim. I mean, there's a number of sections, but basically there's two sections. First section of the Mar Nevuchim is proving all the fundamentals of faith. That there is one God, that he doesn't have a body. L'chul, l'chul, all the fundamentals of faith. And the way the Ram does it is not by others. Like other Swarm, the Kuzari, for example, the way the Kuzari goes about it is basically through tradition. These truths were revealed in Har Sinai, and uh, that and that's where our tradition comes from. The Ram doesn't go with that. The Ram proves it philosophically, and that's where he's coming from. And then the other section of the Ram is to give reasons for the six thirteen, and a major, major, uh, um, uh, you know, explain, you know, source of explanation that the Ram uses to explain many mitzvahs is based on his knowledge of the occult, based on his knowledge of idolatry that there are certain things that were going on in the idolatrous world, and mitzvahs that the Rav gave us were either to, to uh, tear us away from those practices, or sometimes to give us a way to engage in those practices in a holy way, in a kosher way. There's many examples of this. So for example, the Rambam, where does the Rambam put the halachas of payas in Mishnah Torah? Anyone know? The Ram, where, where would you, if you're the Rambam, where, where in Mishnah Torah would you put the halachas of... Huh? So the Rambam puts it exactly in the halachas of Avadizar. Because the Rambam writes in Mornavuchim, why is it in the of Avadizar? So you learn, you learn Mishnah Torah, you don't know why is Rambam putting it over there. So, but he doesn't, he, but it, the, the word of the Rambam is not based on Chumash. So, so in Parashat Kedoshim, you have to keep it of aim. Yeah, you have, you know, all over the place. The Rambam puts it in the halachas of Avadizar because in Mornavuchim, the Rambam explains that the reason for the prohibition of cutting your payas is because by the by the by the uh, the, the priests of of Adizars that were going on by the times of Tanakh is that they did the opposite; they cut dafka the payas. So in order to be not like that, so we dafka grow our payas. So to, uh, how did the Rambam know that? Because he read those books. <laughs> That's the only way to know it, right? So the Ram is telling us, you're not allowed to engage, you're not allowed to read about Avodah Zarah. And he says, you're not allowed to also think about uh, these cheshbonas, one God, maybe there is no one God, and to come to the truth through your own investigations. Both those things the Ramam seems to violate in Mar So how do you deal with that? So let's go with the, with the easier one first. Okay. The easier one to deal with is the Rambam in Mar investigating uh, fundamentals of faith. Why is that easier to deal with? So take a look at Maramukha number four. This is a, this is not my question, this is the Rishonim. There, there's a tshuva from the Rivash. The Rivash was one of the great, uh, great uh, Svardish uh, Paiskim. Tshuva Svarim from the Rishonim already. From that base Medrash of the Rajba. It's coming from that, that base Medrash. He was a Talmud, I think a Talmud of a Talmud of the Rajba. 
So he's talking about over there, the question he was asked, is a person allowed to learn what's called Chachmi Yivanis, Greek philosophy? That was the question, that's the tshuva that he's talking about. It's, a, it's an important tshuva that, that's brought down with this subject. So over there he has a whole thing basically to say no, that person should not do it. And then he says like this, He says, I know what you're thinking. You think of the Rambam, right? The Rambam knew these things, you know. So he says, don't bring me a riot from the Rambam. Why? Because before the Rambam started getting involved in these subject matters to prove that there's a one God, to prove that the world was created and the world didn't always exist, these types of inyanim, before he investigated this, he already knew right? He knew all of Taira. Halachas, Agadas, Tesefta, Sefra, Sefri, Kuli, Talmud, Bavli, Yushalmi. And he says, Look at the Mishnah Torah. You see, the Ram knew everything. So the Ram knew all of that <coughs> already before. And in order to deal with you know, what, what Chazal say, uh, that you should always be able to answer. And Apikairis, that's why the Rambam wrote Sefer HaMayr, Mar Nevuchim, Lister HaMaisim V'harayish Evi HaFilosif, to combat some of the proofs that the world of philosophy were bringing, L'Kiyam Kadmas Oilam, that they were bringing to prove that the world always existed, things that are certainly against our tradition. So the Rambam had to learn those inyanim in order to deal with answering the Apikarsis that was prevalent in his time. And because in his time many Yidin were taka confused in the fundamentals of Yiddishkeit because of this, because of what they learned from these other philosophies, so Rambam had no choice but to sort of embrace this Indian and uh, to respond to the Apikaris. Okay, so, so what exactly is his answer? It's Usr, but he had no choice. He knew Kol Tarkul anyway. Like, how does that help? Like, you know Kol Tarkul, you still not allowed to eat uh, treif. Like, if you're not allowed to do it, you're not allowed to do it. So it's pukuch uh, nefesh. The answer is as follows: If you, if you, when in Maranaka number three, when the Rambam talked about this prohibition of mentally investigating these subject matters, the Rambam made it very, very clear that the real issue is not because these subjects are off limits. His, pain, his point was is that the, the, the average person is, does, not, does not have the tools necessary to come to the proper conclusions. So the guys get investigated and he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't have the proper hachanas and the proper akdam. It's not his Indian. It's a, you know, again, it's a mathematician trying to do open heart surgery. He's a brilliant guy and he's good at what he does. He doesn't have the tools. He doesn't have the proper hachanas. He doesn't have the training. So says the Rambam, that's the issue. That's the issue. That's, that was clear. The Rambam kept on talking about that. Which means that it's not a prohibition like, that's uh, the It's not shreif. The point is, is that for the average person, someone that doesn't really have the proper background, then this is a very serious concern because he doesn't have the tools. And so it's not kedai to get involved if, if, if you don't know what you're doing. It's kedai not to do the surgery. Leave it to someone that does. But if theoretically, that's what's clear in the Rambam, if it's theoretically true that you had someone that has the proper background, that understands what he's doing, then that's someone that maybe would be allowed to go into those things. Should they go into it? That's still debatable. But theoretically, they'd be allowed to. Therefore, says the Rivash, the Rambam had the background necessary. He was firmly rooted in Kala Tarakula. He was a brilliant person. He knew all the necessary components and rules and you know, tools necessary to investigate these sugis properly. So he's allowed to do it, Aleph. And Beis, so should he do it? He had to because there were many Yidin that were falling away from Yiddishkeit because of these issues. So this is the, that's what the Rivash is trying to say. Again, that's why the Rambam, go, in, in, again, in Mishnah Torah, the Rambam doesn't talk about the reasons for the mitzvahs. He just says the halachas. Over here, the Rambam talks about why there's the prohibition. Because the Rambam said, because if you investigate these things, you're going to end up messing yourself over because you don't have the tools. That's not just the reason for the mitzvah. That's the... That's, that, that's how the mitzvah is formulated. It's not a prohibition because like something is treif. It's, it's something that is just impractical. and it, it's, 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 it's very dangerous for the average person to do it simply because you don't have the proper background. If you have the proper background, then it's to hate. Maybe it's still not recommended, but if you think you have to because you have to save other yidin, okay, then you're allowed to do it. And that's exactly what the Rambam is doing. So like I said, that side of, 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 of the sugi is not so difficult to deal with. The bigger problem is the prohibition of investigating Avodah 
understand that, that at that time by the Rambam, people were not worshipping these ancient of Adizars anyway. So it's not a matter of like Bukuch Nefesh, like Yidin are falling for these, uh, for the Baal, uh, you know what I mean? And these ancient of Adizars, no, one, no one's bowing down to Pa'ar. So, uh, so, so it's not like there's an issue of Bukuch Nefesh over here. So what exactly is the heter for the Rambam to learn these things? Clearly he did, if that's the background that he used to explain Mishnah Torah. So it's like this. We do find, just to, well, there's not an answer yet, but just to give a little bit of a Pesach, we do find one example in Chazal of where this prohibition of thinking about Avodah and investigating those sugyas is permitted. And it's, and it's interesting. We don't have a clear, it's, there's no clear source of why, but this is certainly something that Chazal had a tradition about. Take a look at Marmach number five. This is a Rambam in Hilchus Sanhedrin. Okay, in the beginning of Hilchus Sanhedrin, Perak Beis of Hilchus Sanhedrin, the Rambam is talking about the qualifications that person a person has to have in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin. So the Rambam says like this: Ein ma'midin b'Sanhedrin, bein b'gedoyla, bein b'ktana, to be appointed to the Sanhedrin, whether the the big Sanhedrin, seventy one in Yerushalayim, or even the mini Sanhedrins throughout our Yisrael of twenty three, right? Because the average Bezdin was of three people. That when you had a bezin of 23, that they were able to deal with capital cases and so on. That was called the Sanhedrin. There's Sanhedrin Gedoyla, Yerushalayim, Sanhedrin Katana, throughout Eretz Yisrael. But to be a member of the Sanhedrin, again, whether Gedoyla or Katana, you have to have the following qualifications. El Anoshin Chachamim Unavainim, whatever that means, Chachamim Unavainim, wise. Muflogim Bechachim Satoyer Bali Deim Ruba. Not just knowledgeable in Torah, muflagim like uh, like haflaga um, uh, means like almost exaggerated. Like when, when you want to say in, in Hebrew an exaggeration, you say it's davar muflag. Like muflagim chachma, we're talking about like beyond uh, the the normal scope. It's not just a knowledgeable person, almost believable. Bali de Ruba, extremely uh, uh, deep a deep thinker. Now, fine, that's as far as learning is concerned. Now, other, other subjects. They also have to be people that are aware, at least somewhat, of other wisdoms. They have to know about medicine. Those are things that might come up with halacha. come to them. They have to know about medicine. The cheshman, they have to know mathematics. Tukufus and mazolis, they have to know about constellations. Again, these are things necessary for Kedesh HaChadosh, Kedesh Levana, for, uh, you know, uh, leap years, things like this. Vanstankininus, Vedarke HaMa'oinen V'Hakoisnum, V'Hamachashvim, V'Hevli Avodah They also have to be expert in Avodah in the occult, in witchcraft, in these types of subjects also. In order they should know how to paskin when shiles come to them regarding these subjects. So, so now you have an interesting thing. You, you are a member of the Zinedrin, and to be a member of Zinedrin means you have to be uh, you have to be able to handle anything that comes on your desk. So something that comes on your de- that might come on your desk is is this a bizarre? You know, like years ago, if you remember, this is already uh, old news. But remember, like the shaitos, right? The shaitos, right? So if you had a real Sanhedrin. And the part of a Sanhedrin, says the Rambam, is to understand the, 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 the other, these are other religions, then uh, nothing would have, it would have been very, very simple and straightforward. You would have asked the question, and would have said, no, in that, in that religion, in that thing, it's not of a desert Okay, and that'll be it. But because there's a lack of knowledge in that, so uh, things become a little bit confused over time. Okay, fine. So the member of the Sanhedrin have to know that. But what's interesting is, is that uh, but there is a prohibition of learning those things. You know what I mean? So, so it is an interesting thing. So there, there is a, an Isra of Al-Tifnu Al-Ulidim. And if you remember, the Rambam didn't say that it's only Usr to do it for the purposes of serving. You're doing it, you know, uh, you know for whatever reasons you want. And there's just an Isra of, of being involved in those sugyas. And what we're seeing is, again, we have to explain why. But what we're seeing is at least that there is an opening. There is a Hatter. If you remember the Sanhedrin, evidently in order to be able to pass in the Shaila and learning about these things... Is, uh, is going to be permitted. Okay, we have to figure out how or why. But to be able to, to get to a better understanding of why this prohibition is permitted for the Sanhedrin and why the Rambam was allowed to do it in order to write Marnevuchem, so we have to better identify the nature of this Esser. Okay, so let's better identify it. 
So to appreciate the nature of this iser of altifna lilam, of not investigating subject matter of the zara, again, the nature of the prohibition of not investigating or not, uh, you know, making, going through your own, uh, you know, cheshbainus of fundamentals of faith, that we, underst- we, we learned already what the nature of the iser is. The nature of the iser is, you might not know what you're talking about. <laughs> you might not know how to handle those subjects. So it's not going to die. But what's the nature of this prohibition of getting involved with thinking and learning about Ovedizar? So to appreciate that, we have to go back a little bit. So go back to Maramukha number one. This is the first halacha in the second parak of Ovedizar. So this is how the Ramam opens up the parak. I, me- I remember if I mentioned, I mentioned that the first parak is all about the history of Ovedizar, right? Where it comes from, the mistake that the Enosh made to serve the intermediaries. It says the Ramam like this, Iker hatsiva the fundamental, the essential commandment regarding Avodah is the following. Not to serve anything that is created. <laughs> that's pretty much, <coughs> that's pretty much Avodah And he says as follows. And again, this, even if the, word, the person that's serving, that's doing the Avodah knows that, that the Rabbanu Shalom is the Rabbanu Shalom. And the only reason why this person is serving this Malach or serving the sun, or serving the moon, or whatever it is, is the person is doing the same cheshman that Enosh did, in that generation of like, we know God is God, but Lamaisa, didn't God give unbelievable power to the sun? So it's respectful for God if I serve the sun. The same mistake Enosh did. If a person does that, that's what they are. The Inyan Zeh, says the Rambam, and specifically this type of mistake, of not just Stam Avadizara, but doing the Avadizara of Enosh, which is to serve an intermediary, says the Ramam, who Allah, there's a specific prohibition against that. For Amra, that the Pasuk says, that maybe you'll turn your eyes to heaven, for and you'll see the sun and you'll see all that stuff. And you're gonna say, Well, God God gave these bodies power over the world. In other words, and you might make the the cheshman of well, therefore it's it's worth they're worthy of my respect. You're going to say, oh, the sun, moon, the, God put them in such positions of authority. The timer, and you're going to say, love them that it's worth to serve them and to bow down to them and so on. So the pasuk then commands and says, don't turn your heart, don't turn your heart to that. Says the Ramam Kolaymer. Now says Ram the interesting thing. The prohibition is not just not to do it. The prohibition is, Don't make that mental mistake. Don't, and certainly don't act upon it. But don't allow yourself to go there mentally. Don't allow yourself to think like that. That there's a God, but you know, he's way out there, and these are intermediaries that are kadai to serve. Don't just don't do it, but don't allow yourself to think like that. Don't entertain that thought. Don't entertain that thought. Those are the words. Don't be mistaken with the thoughts of your heart. To serve them. To be an intermediary between you and God. In that context, then the Raman continues in Allah Habayz, what we saw before, that there are many books, that there's many books about the occult. And the Raman says, and you're not, as we saw before, those subject matters are also off limits to your mind. Take a look now at the last line of Maramukha number two. It says the Raman, the chol halav in ha'elu, and all these prohibitions that I've, been, that I've mentioned, the Inyan Echadheim, they're all fundamentally one side, one fundamental principle, which is, don't turn towards Avadizar. So what the Ram just do now? The Ram just said an interesting thing. The Ramam listed a bunch of different prohibitions. The Rambam first in Parak Aleph gave us a whole history lesson of Avadizar. Fine. Then comes chapter two. And the Ramam says in Allah Aleph of chapter two, don't even if a person serves something as an intermediary between you and God, that's the Zara. And don't allow yourself to think like that. And then the Rama said, and also, just the entire subject matter of the Zara is just off limits. Learning about what they did, learning about how they're served by other people. But just that whole subject matter is off limits. Says Rama, and everything I just mentioned is one Indian, which is don't, to turn, don't turn towards Avadizara. So what's the, 
What's the Nakuda? The Nakuda is as follows. The Ram is telling us that there's one fundamental yesaid that is the nucleus of all of these prohibitions that he just mentioned, of not serving intermediaries, of not thinking like that, of not studying in, uh, academically, avoid the Zaras, even if you're not, you don't believe in it. It's one yesaid. Don't give it roots. Don't give it a foundation. It doesn't exist. Don't give it a mitzias. Don't be machshavit. It doesn't have any. It doesn't have any roots. If a person, the, the fundamental prohibition is to give a shirish to avodizar, to give a shirish to it. Now, what does it mean to give a shirish to something? What does it mean to give something legs and to give something an anchor to give something a place to stand on? So it, that could uh, that could you can do that in many ways by even studying the subject matter. And to get degrees in it, that's already making it a zach. Not a zach that I believe in per se, but you're making it a zach. You're giving it a, you're giving it a shirish. And, and by the way, the concept is, once something has a shirish, it could flourish, it could grow, it could develop. Don't give it a shirish. How do you give it a shirish? So the Torah says, one way of giving it a root is by studying it even academically. That's one way of giving it a root. And there's another way of giving it a root, which is believing in the concept of intermediaries. Because that's also a root that idolatry came from. Like that, that, that's exactly what all of chapter one is about. Chapter one is about establishing what's the root of Avadizar. That's exactly what the, what, and what is the root of Avadizar? Real Avadizar is, this is, this is a God. But, but that didn't just come out of nowhere, that came from a root. The root of it was, Believing and having this mindset of like uh, that, there's something uh, no, noble about uh, about uh, you know uh, serving or giving credence to intermediaries between you and God. That's the root of avodizar. Says the Rambam, not only is avodizar off limits, but the ikur inyan of avodizar is not to give it a shirish, undermine its roots, uproot it. How do you uproot it from your own heart, from reality, from the world? is by, by avoiding the subject matter b'chalal, and more than that, and, 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 and as well, not allowing certainly the, the origins of the Zara to take root in your own life, not to fall into the mistakes of Doranish. So this is the, the fundamental you say, which is not to give it a root, or now let's go a little bit deeper into the penis of this Indian, to not to take away the very mitzias of Adizar. The shayrish of Adizar means that it doesn't, that the root of Adizar means that it has, a, that it could possibly have a mitzias. Whatever the, let's put it this way, whatever fertile ground could be for Adizar, take away that fertile ground. There's no fertile ground for Adizar. Now let's define for ourselves now in pneumistic uh, language, what is the pneumistic root of Avodizar. So it's all revolving on this Pasuk of Al-Tifnu El-Elilim, right? Now, it's interesting. That word Elilim is a very um, rare, it's not a common word for Avodizar. The usual word for Avodizar is Elohim Acherim, you know, uh, things like that, or, or, or Avodiz Kechavim, Kechavim Mazals. What is Elilim? So you know what the word Elilim means? If you take, take a look at, at Maramoka number six, Rashi, on that Gemara, when the Gemara said you're not allowed to read, uh, you know, the thing underneath the thing, but on even, but the thing itself, right, the statue itself, or the dessert itself, you're not allowed to even even look at. Look, we're not going to get too much involved in the sheet of Rashi, particularly in that Gemara. But look at how Rashi teaches the word Elilim. Rashi says, El midaitchem, El asher midas levavchem, the chalal shalachem, Alilim loshen chalalim. Says Rashi, the word alilim, which means idols, it comes from the word halal. In Hebrew, there's certain letters which can be interchanged with each other. Aleph and ches can be interchanged. Elilim can be read chalilim or halalim. Halalim means, literally, a halal means an empty space. So in other words, what, what's Rashi saying? The word alilim, why is it mean of a desire? Because it's empty, it's a shtus, it's narish, it's a, it's a vacuum, it's, it's meaningless. But in Pneumius, whenever you see that word halal, whenever you see that word halal, it always has to trigger it to you. Halal, I know what halal means. Halal miyudea, right? Halal miyudea. What did that Rizal say? The Rizal says, before creation, what was there? Ain't Saif. 
just the light of the infinite one. No, but as I mentioned many times, if all there is is God, then there's no room for, uh, for anything else. So Rabbanu Shalom, but Hashem wants it to be a world. So Rabbanu Shalom therefore, therefore created this uh, funny reality. The Rabbanu Shalom, Kiviachal, the Rizal describes, made an empty space. An empty space. This halal haponoi, that's the language, a halal haponoi, empty space. In this empty space, you know, there's God's presence is not there. So now in this empty space, you could have great things. You could have Beis English. You could have uh, tzaddikim. You could have yidin. You could have non-Jez You could have bad things too. But the root upon which all of reality is existing, the sharish, that of all of it, is what is the halal haponoi, is the empty space. Al tifnu el alilim. What's the shayrish of the Zara? It's even by Dar Enish, right? What was Dar Enish? Dar Enish was God is, ooh, God is way out there. And because God is way out there, so I, I, I don't feel much of a connection to this God. So what I do feel a connection to is the sun, the sun I get. And God created the sun, so I'm going to serve the sun. The very philosophy of Enish is rooted on taking extremely literally and extremely seriously, this idea of there being an empty space. It's the empty space itself that is the fertile ground for many good things, all good choices that you can make. But, the, but understand that in the deepest sense, the very, the very existence, the very, the very thought that the halal apone, that this empty space is absolute, is the root of Avadizara. Not only is there, there is, what is Avadizar? Avadizar is that there's something that's not God, something that has its own independent powers. Is, that, 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 that not only comes because of this phenomenon of the empty space, that is believing in the empty space. Mm-hmm. To believe in the Chalal means that God is beyond that bubble, and in this bubble, what's left? Us. With our limited strength and our and our limited weaknesses and all that stuff, our limitations, but but we exist in this empty space as independent creatures. Thus is over the That's the chefts of Avodizar. That's the shurge of Avodizar. The pnimius of this prohibition is what in the real pnimius of this prohibition is al tifnu el Don't fully believe in the emptiness of the halal pane. That's the pnimius of this mitzvah. That's the piece of it. Take a look at Marmok number seven. In the Kutum Aran, Al Simon Samachtal. It's a very, very Yusadistic piece. And he says the following thing. So Rabbi Nachman, in that piece, we don't have the time anymore to, to go through the whole Indian. But Rabbi Nachman basically sets up for us a very difficult uh, you know, philosophical challenge, which is we have to believe in this phenomenon of there being an empty space within which we can function as, as independent people. Because otherwise, then everything is before creation and everything is the Rabbani Shalom, there's no us. But yet, at the same time, it's not possible to say that God doesn't exist in this place either. Because, one, because that means that you're limiting, you're, you're limiting the Rabbani Shalom, that you can't do. The Zara says that the Rabbani Shalom surrounds all, all things and... And, and, and is within all things. So you can't, so, you can't say that there is, there is an empty space. You can't say there is no empty space. You're sort of stuck. So, how do, so, the, so Rabbi Nachman, classic in, in the way of Chassidus, doesn't necessarily tell us what the answer is, but he tells us how to react to it. And so says Rabbi Nachman like this, through Amuna. Through faith. Faith is the way through which we're able to navigate through this paradox of there, yes, is an empty space, but at the same time, the empty space is not so empty. Through believing, the Rabbani Shalom fills all worlds and surrounds all worlds. And in truth of all truths, the Rabbani Shalom's presence is there, but at the same time, not undermining the existence of the empty space. And that's the paradox of it. Because in our way of thinking, if Rabbi Shalom is there, it's not empty. And then nothing happened from before creation. Elamai, he's not there. So it's really empty then. But for it, to be, for it to be an empty space and still be full of God's presence, like either the cup is full or it's not full, like which one is it? So we can't compute such a thing. But that's where Amunah comes from, which is that it's both, that it is a halal but it's not empty. 
It's, an, it's, a, non, it's a full empty space. That, 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 that's the secret of Amuna. So he says, It's impossible to be masig, for us to process it, almost as if as far as we're concerned, it's, as far as our experience is empty, despite the fact that it's not, and our experience is also true. Uh, again, a paradox. And to find Hashem there. Alkain and through Amuna, we're able to withstand all the problems and difficulties and kashas and so on that might be coming from this paradox. Because that's the bigger context of that piece over there. Rabbi Nachman talks about certain kashas and certain difficulties in life that are coming because of the very fact that there has to be some emptiness to allow there to be a you. Because there has to be a barrier, so to speak, between you and God, so to speak, so automatically it means that you're going to be not God, which means you're not going to be perfect, and life is not going to be perfect. So there are certain imperfections in life because of your mistakes, and because of the things that you messed up, or other people messed up, you know, for you. But there are also imperfections in life and in you, just because of the fact that you're not God. And so those imperfections, you're not going to be able to overcome, because guess what, you're not God. So there are certain in Yonim, that we deal with just because of the fact that there is an empty space. But at the same time, as Yidin, you can't fully believe in the emptiness of that empty space. So, we, we, so, so how do we deal with those imperfections, with those kashas in life? So that's what Rebbe Nachman in this, con- in this piece is talking about, that we transcend the questions. We somehow become big enough people to handle those imperfections and to handle those kashas. Not necessarily are those questions answerable, and not necessarily are those problems fixable. Problems that are coming because of bad decisions in the empty space you can fix. But the difficulties that are coming because of the reality of the empty space, that you can't fix. But you can become big enough to handle it. That's what Rabbi Nachman is talking about in this piece. So that's what Rabbi Nachman says. Let's go back. So the Rambam, again, in Halacha, again, always Halacha tying into Pneumius. The Rambam defined for us that in Halacha, there is this one prohibition. This prohibition that contains within it not believing in the philosophy of Enosh and not studying Avodah Zarah even uh, academically. And what was the Yisait? Says the Rambam, the Yisait is, don't give a Shorish to Avodah Zarah. Don't, don't give a legs to stand on. Cut its legs from underneath it. Don't let it, don't give it fertile ground to grow. Once you believe in the philosophy of Enosh, Avadizar can come from that. Even studying the occult in all of its details also can lead a person to start believing in it and start acting upon it. Don't give it a place. Don't give it a, a place in your heart. And, a de- and so translating that in terms of Pneumius and broadening the, the definition of what Avadizar means. Avadizar doesn't just mean a totem pole or a face or a cross. Avadizar means any independent power with its own sovereignty and its own independent existence, the deeper meaning of this prohibition is don't believe in the emptiness of the empty space. Al-tifnu el halilim. That's what alilim means. Like Rashi said, the emptiness. In, that, in the simple taich, alilim means, again, the emptiness, the, the narishkeit of Avodah But in a deeper sense, it means don't believe in the chalal aponi. Because if you believe fully in the chalal aponi, then what? Then das is Avodah That That's the root of what will lead to denying the Rabbanu Shalom ultimately because the Rabbanu Shalom is not here. And so, but, at the, but, but here's the, the catch-22. You can't fully just ignore the emptiness of the Chalal Aponai because then there's no you. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of have a Muna to handle this, which is to believe that the empty space is in fact not empty. And that's the aside of this mitzvah, Tif Because of this, now Rabbi Nachman continues, because of this, the general reaction or the general relationship that the average Yid has to this Chalal is one of Amuna. That's what Rabbi Nachman said. Because to truly grapple with it is impossible for the average person and dangerous for the average person. And therefore the reaction is one of Al-Tifnu Al-Ulilam. Don't, in, don't try to investigate this sugya because it's not something that the human can comprehend. Rather, the avoid is amuna to try to transcend it, to try to handle the, diffi- the wrenches that will be thrown your way because of this mitzias of elilim. But al-tifnu al-elilim. 
don't believe in the emptiness of the empty space and 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 uh, and what does that mean it means it means to react to it with a muna that's the mitzvah. what are you what's the muna in that despite the fact that nothing makes sense, that what's coming my way or what's coming this person's way is not something that I deserve, not something that I did, not something that anyone could answer. Despite all of that, I still believe in the Bari Ayalam's love for me. I still believe in the Bari Ayalam's perfection and in the world that he created as being a perfect place, as being a good place. So all these, you know, the types of kashas that might come, might be generated from Echelal Pani are questions which... Are, are, are experiences which make a person question God's uh, well, the, the God's plan for this place, right? Because but one of the things, if you fully believe in the emptiness of the Chalal Apana, it means that now we're left to our own devices and we could royally mess this place up, which means that God's plan of creation might not work out. And so you see, you read the Sadarius and you see things going haywire, you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe this entire, you know, gamble of the Rabbanishon by creating a world, it might not work out for him. Field That's Right, right. So that itself, right, the failed experiment of creation, so that, that itself is a question that comes because of the Chalal Aponik. And the person has to have a muna to overcome that, which is that it's not true you might mess everything up so much. And we have Bechir to do that, but at the same time, God's world is perfect. What about the main question is, is God here? So the, that, that's the thing. The answer is there, so the average Jew doesn't doesn't can't conceptualize an answer, but we can viscerally experience the Rabbanu Shalom being here and not at the same time. This is the aside that I've mentioned many many times in Chassidus that that one of the deepest uh, uh, spiritual satisfactions of a soul is looking for the Rabbanu Shalom, and there's a satisfaction in that. That stira of being spiritually satisfied in looking for the Rabbanu Shalom is touching upon this truth of the empty space not being empty. Because looking for the Rebbe means there's an emptiness here that you're, trying, that you're looking for something, but that's satisfying, as if it's not empty. This is, the, this is what davening is. This is what Torah is supposed to be. This is, the fun, this is a, a core, a fundamental yisayid in understanding the, um, the uh, experience of the neshama through Avadis Hashem, in the context of Avadis Hashem. It's a very, very core point. But that's the reaction. That, that's, that's the, so the, the nature of this prohibition, of al-tifnu al-ulim, for the, which means the empty space is not empty. That's what al-tifnu al-ulim means. But what, is that, like, what does that mean practically? What does that mean for us? How do I, how do I uh, uh, establish that the empty space is not empty? So for the average Jew, that's not going to be through an intellectual pursuit. It can't be through an intellectual pursuit. The mind is not capable of grasping that. The reaction of a Jew, the way the average Jew fulfills this mitzvah, is as we just said, is by having the amuna to deal with the, with, with the difficulties that come from the empty space and reacting with faith, which is basically saying that I acknowledge the emptiness of the empty space, but at the same time, God is there and I have faith in Him. So that's the way how the average Jew deals and fulfills this mitzvah of Al-Tif But that's for the average Jew. Says Rebbe Nachman, the last couple lines, Ach but you should know, Im yesh tzadik gadol, there is such a thing as a tzadik in the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, that he fulfills the mitzvah of al more than just a way of, of, de- of handling the things, the, 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 the ramifications of the empty space. He's not only able to, he's commanded. His way of fulfilling Al-Tif Nalilim is more, is more head-on. And he actually investigates this Indian of there being an emptiness and yet God being there and somehow is able, as a Moshe Rabbeinu, to somehow find the Rabbeinu Shalilim in the emptiness despite the fact that it's still empty. What for the average Jew is conceptually impossible, and it's just a matter of, of, of how to handle that reality experientially, the Moshe Rabbeinu is able to be masig such an Indian and to investigate it to whatever degree is possible. And even if Moshe Rabbeinu can't ultimately get to the ultimate conclusion, but by his investigation in that sugya to whatever degree he's able to, then he'll be rescuing neshamas that were not Moshe Rabbeinu's, 
that maybe fell into those, uh, those, those uh, emptinesses, and he's going to rescue them through his investigation. So again, what Rabbi Nachman is, is, is telling us over here is that there are two categories of Yidin and two approaches, two madrigas have had to deal with this reality of the empty space and yet not being empty. So for the average Yid, this truth of the empty space not being empty is not something that, a, that the average Jew can truly intellectually investigate or, or even spiritually comprehend but it's something that's just a matter of how to have a muna to handle the repreca- the, 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 what, what comes from the empty space. That's one reaction. And then Rabbi Nachman said, but the tzaddik of Moshe Rabbeinu, his, then his, rea- his, uh, his relationship is one that he, inve- that he gets involved and he investigates and, and he does the best he can to try to be masig, this side of the empty space being empty and not empty at the same time. In the, in the piece of Rabbi Nachman, it's just floating... In this concept, but giving it roots in halacha, what we're seeing is that the that the mitzvah of that this is in, this entire Torah of Avinachman is is revolving around the mitzvah of tifnur alilim because the mitzvah of tifnur alilim is don't fully believe in the empty space al tifnur alilim don't give fertile ground for avodah undermine its roots undermine its roots undermine the empty space within which Avodah Zarah can, can, can flourish. Undermine that. What does it mean? It means there is no empty space? No, it means the empty space is not empty. How do you fulfill this mitzvah? So that's where Rabbi Nachman said, there's two types of yid. One yid fulfills the mitzvah by what? By, uh, I don't get it, but at least I have a munah to handle it. And, and, and another type of yid fulfills that mitzvah by investigating and somehow grappling with the emptiness and, and despite the fact that it's empty, making it not empty at the same time. How do those two paths express themselves halachically in terms of the mitzvah of Tifnolilim? The answer is, there's one side of Tifnolilim which is, like the Rambam said, don't think about the occult, don't investigate it, don't allow yourself to go there. That is the way the average Yid fulfills the mitzvah of Tifnolilim. But if you're a Maish Rabbeinu, if you're a Maish Rabbeinu, then the way you fulfill a Tifnur Lilim is not by ignoring it. The way you fulfill a Tifnur Lilim is by investigating the inning of the empty space, but incorporating it in, but making it not empty. Right? The empty space is not empty. What does it mean practically? It means taking the sugya of Avodah which is emptiness, right? Your own, uh, something that's its own power, not, you know, a false god, the emptiness, and making it a sugi in Tyra. What is Tyra? God's light. So by investigating the sugyas of Avadizara and incorporating it into Tyra, that's how the Moshe Rabbeinu fulfills the mitzvah of Tifnur Lili. You understand? It's by take Huh? That's, that's, exa- that's exactly how the, how the Moshe Rabbeinu, Dikin Hashomas, fulfills the mitzvah of Tifnur When the Rambam said that Tifnur means don't think about Avadizara, it's off limits, it's not, it's not going to die, that's the way the average Yid fulfills the mitzvah of Tifnur Because again, what's the site of Tifnur What's the premius? What's the soul of the mitzvah? The site of the mitzvah is make the empty space not empty. But for the average Jew, that could only be done. And again, so the empty space means Avadizara. That's the empty space. That's the alilim. That's the alilim. Not empty. God's light means tire. So for the average Jew, we can, just the average Jew cannot conceptualize the empty space being not empty. So for the average Jew, the sugya of Voidizara is just bechlal of limits. The only way that we can fulfill that mitzvah is by just dealing with it and by staying away from Voidizara and being good boys and girls in terms of Dealing with having a muna to deal with kashas that come from that empty space. But if you're a Moshe Rabbeinu Dekineshama, then the way you fulfill the mitzvah of is hands-on, by undermining the emptiness of the empty space, but by keeping it empty at the same time, which means, practically, it means taking the sugis of Oedizara and making them a part of Torah. That's exactly what the Sanhedrin were doing. The Sanhedrin were learning the, the halachas of the occult because they had to. So you have to, because you have to pask in a Shiloh. When the Shiloh comes, you'll investigate it then. No, as a prerequisite to be a member of an engine, you had to know the sugas of the occult and how to pask in a Shiloh because of it. Why is that a, a prerequisite? The answer is because, as I mentioned many, many times, the, the Yisraelis and Hedrin is 
a hemshech of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is shakal keneged ayin aleph. Moshe Rabbeinu was a walking Sanhedrin. We was, I mentioned this uh, one of the shirim one day. I think it was like on a holiday or something. So we, we talked about this Indian that that there was a member, there were seventy one members of the Sanhedrin, but there was a seventy second that his job says the Rambam was to represent Moshe. Means the entire inner Sanhedrin is Moshe Rabbeinu. So of course the Sanhedrin is going to be obligated in Al-Tifna Alilim to engage in the subject matter of the Zara, but to incorporate into the context of Torah, because that's what's doing. What they're doing is, there is an empty space, that's called the Zara, but it's not empty, it's part of Torah. Because that's what Sanhedrin does, the Rambam, who is also Bechina of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe ad Moshe is like Kamka Moshe, so Moshe, the Rambam, who is a Bechina of Moshe Rabbeinu in his generation, so of course the Rambam also fulfills the mitzvah Tifnu Alilim. By what? By incorporating the halachas, the rituals of Avodah in the context of Torah in the Marnavuchim. So what comes out by, by understanding the themes of this Indian is not the Rambam disregarded this prohibition for the sake of Pukuch Nefesh, helping of the Adra. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu Dikna Shalom fulfilled this Mitzvah Tifnu Alilim. So again, the Yisrael Tifnu Alilim is undermine the root of Avodah Zarah. What is Avodah Zarah? Avodah Zarah is the empty space. Undermine its existence. It's not empty? No, no. That it's empty and not empty at the same time. The average Yid can't do that actively. The average Yid can only do that through deepening your general Amunah. And to deepen your general Amunah means to stay away from those subjects. But by the Moshe Rabbeinu Dikna no, Shalom, no, no, no. That's how they fulfill the mitzvah more proactively, which is to engage in Avodah Zarah, not Avodah Zarah Mamish, but to engage in these subject matters in the context of Torah learning. And in the context of Torah learning, it means that the empty space is talking that empty. And that's the east side of Al-Tif Nolim. No, Hashem should help us. Shtaka b'mukash ourselves to Nishmas Maish in every generation. And from there, we'll be able to, uh, to, to see how Taka, the empty space is not empty. V'yaskol tzedek, me'er v'yemenu, amen.